Hey guys, and welcome to season two, episode one of Couch in the Mind, clearing the mind one couch talk at a time. On today's episode, we'll be going over the topic of the click moment. Um, and today I've got Rebecca Stokes with me today. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. Honestly, it's a pleasure to have you on the show for, you know, for you to openly talk about what you've been through and the experiences that you've you've had to dealt with. Not all positive, a lot quite negative. I really appreciate you wanting to share what you've been through. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. The reason why I called it the click moment is because some people, sometimes in our life, we like to tiptoe around who we are as a person. And it's because we kind of like to follow that, that uh, pack and we're afraid of judgment and what people think of ourselves. And I think Rebecca can encapsulate that, that earlier on in her life. And I'm not going to steal her thunder, but <laughs> early on in her life, I think it was maybe you said primary school, I, yeah. I believe uh, primary school she had that click moment and went, Oh shit. Like I actually am gay. Like, um, yeah. I, I was hearing one of your pod, podcasts you're on with, um, David who actually interviewed me as well. And he, you were saying that you were playing cops and robbers or something like that. And you wanted to, you, for some reason you wanted to chase the girls all the time instead of the guys. And yeah. Yeah. And then finally he just went, Oh, there you go. I'm gay. There, well, there you go. So we, 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 we all have that click moment at some point in our life. And, um, for Rebecca, it happened a lot earlier on rather than later. And, there's a few other hurdles that Rebecca had been faced with in her life. Obviously, I'll let Rebecca mention it to, to me, but there was one in particular where she suffered from a quite a bad experience in that it was a coward punch, um, which is the worst, I guess, pretty much the worst punch you can pretty much get given. I mean, you should, no one should get hit. A woman should never get hit. But, you know, I'm proud of you being able to openly talk about this sort of stuff because a lot of people burden themselves with it and they don't want to openly share these negative experiences with other people. But again, guys, uh, discretion warning, what you may hear might be quite uncomfortable. But as always, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please continue to watch the video. Otherwise, uh, please stop. Anyways, I'm going to hand it over to Rebecca and you can start your story from wherever you want. And I'll ask the questions along the way. Well, I guess we'll start off at like that thick moment that I had. You know, that's probably the best place to start. It's a bit lighter. Um, Yeah, it's a bit lighter. I... Like you said, in primary school, it was kind of two moments. It was, I remember I was playing with a bunch of friends and one of my friends came up and they said, oh my God, do you, oh my God, do you know um, such and such is gay? And I was like, oh, what's, what's gay? And they were like, that's like when a guy likes a guy and a girl likes a girl. And like, I can remember that so clearly because I was like, oh. I'm gay. That's what, that's what this is. That's why I'm trying to catch the girls. I don't want to catch the boys. Like it was like this big kind of moment and realization. And, you know, a lot of people in the world go through that little moment and they have it early in life, late in life. You know, I knew from a very early stage. Um, And, you know, I was super lucky to have kind of a really supportive family as I kind of, Grew so up so they were they were quite open. They they weren't. A lot of people were quite, you know, closed offish in regards to people being, you know. And I don't understand because I feel like everyone should be happy in their own way, shape, or form. They've got to be themselves. But for some people, they're quite closed offish in terms of people being gay and stuff. Was was that the case with your family and friends, or? Um. When I had that first realization, like it was, if if you think about the context I found out about it, it was in a negative way because yeah. someone was getting picked on for being gay. Yeah. So I didn't turn around to that person and go, oh, 
I'm gay too. Like I was like, oh crap, okay, I can't tell anyone because obviously that's a bad thing because we're picking on people because they're gay. That's it. So it wasn't until, you know, I was probably year five. So I'm talking about eight years old when, you know, that possibly, yeah, between seven and eight years old when that happened. Um, It wasn't until I started, you know, softball and, you know, I saw other people being gay and it was being accepted Mm. and, you know, my circle of friends kind of grew and I saw, you know, in society it started getting more and more accepted. And I think it was about 16 when I had my first girlfriend and I'm like, Oh, okay, I better tell mum and dad that I'm feeling this way. And at first they were fine with it. And, you know, they were like, okay, it's just a phase. You're 16. That's cool. Whatever. They they, they thought it was just a phase. Yeah. To start with. And my parents were brought up in that, you know, like, each generation are getting better and better and better at accepting the diversity that there is in the world, you know, and you've got to respect that people were brought up in different times. So, you know, it didn't bother me that they thought it was a phase. I really didn't know what was happening either. Mm. I just knew I had these feelings and, you know, there was no educational, there was no YouTube or anything (laughs) or Google back then to go. There's no no how to basic. No, no. So you kind of just rolled with it. And then um, when I was 18, I got caught kissing a girl out the front by the neighbor and the neighbor told my dad and dad got a bit upset about it. And I was like, I told you when I was 16, I was gay. Mm. And he's just like, but you know, I thought it was just a phase and whatnot. And I was just like, well, no, like girls are really cool. Like, and and what, so I guess when, when did your parents actually kind of, you know, realize like, this is not a phase. This is, this is who you are. You know, you're just being yourself. Yeah. That conversation that night was pretty strong with my parents. I was like, well, no, I do feel this way. You know, I'm not going to bring a guy home or anything. Like I'm not interested in that way at all. Um, You know, there was one moment I think I told David about was when my dad went from not just being okay and just going, okay, it's going to be a phase, but realizing it wasn't a choice. It was, I was born kind of, this is who you are. This is who I am. It wasn't, I wasn't choosing to do this to, you know, like some people just think people choose to be gay. You know, you choose what to wear. You don't, (laughs) you don't don't choose who you are. So um, yeah, I was, um, at the shops picking up some stuff and mum and dad were waiting in the car and this guy said to his daughter right in front of me going don't stand too close or something like that she's diseased and called me diseased to his like four-year-old daughter and it just it broke me and you know I ended up you know back in the car with mum and dad I just started crying I told him what happened and dad actually got really upset and so quite emotional about it and I was just sorry to hear that Rebecca but why do you why do you feel like some people you know have these have these thoughts upon you know someone being gay like what what makes them show so much hate toward the, the gay community i think it's people are scared of what they don't know yeah you know that's purely what it is you know you, we've got the coronavirus at the moment everyone's scared because we don't really know what the long-term outcome it's going to be that's it you know it's anything that's different to what their norm is it, it's very very scary yeah and that's exactly right and i mean this is this is a little bit off topic, but you see, for example, in, with uh, with phones, right? You got your Apples and Samsungs, your most popular phones. You know, the moment you see someone pull out a flip a flip phone again, you're going, "What the hell is going on here?" You're not following the trend. You know, see you later. Yeah. Very much the same with you know sexuality, like you know, because people don't have a general understanding of of why people may be gay because they might not be gay themselves. They they just kind of shrug off and they they show hate and, and that's not the way the world should work but unfortunately that's just the world we live in today. Yeah, and that's you know that's where you know in the world we just need to show more kindness to the things we don't understand. Yep. It's 
you know, you have different cultures, different religions, different, you know, it's like Dave, like when me and Dave used to work together, we used to have the maddest conversations because, you know, he back then was practicing a completely different religion and our lives were That's completely it. different. But we would just, we would meet in the middle and we'd always have respectful conversations. There was never any hatred. You know, it didn't matter that yeah. his beliefs, you know, he didn't believe that, you know, in his, in his religion that he practiced, you know, being gay was very wrong, you know, but yeah. he didn't put that, I didn't feel he put that onto me at all. You know, he'd ask me questions and that's what we need to do. When you don't understand, instead of ask. hating, just ask. That's it. You'd like, you know, with, any, with anything in life, you know, whether or not you're studying a degree or you're going overseas, you're learning a new culture, you can't just step in there and have this general understanding of how things work. You've got to ask the right questions. Yeah. And then you can you can judge away. Yeah, yep, definitely. <laughs> so in terms of mental health, when you did face these specific hurdles in, in terms of people putting hate on you and your community, the gay community, and going through this change within your life, and how did that have effect on you mentally? I think I'm lucky. I have a really – I think there's so many people out there that come out being gay – um, or trans or whatever they do and their family just disown them and yeah. I couldn't I couldn't imagine that I've just been so lucky to have such a supportive family that every time something bad would happen I would talk to them about it and say well this is just what happened and they'd yeah. be supportive awesome. and yeah I've been really blessed in that way and for people but for people that aren't as fortunate as yourself what would you suggest for them to do if, if they feel like as if they're alone and they're not getting the support that they need? For that, I would, family is more than blood. Yeah. You know, family is not your biological, it is, it is your biological, but family can be more than that. You know, you, your family is the community and your support network that you build, you know, and just because, you know, your family might have disowned you or, you know, they, they're not accepting it in time, they might. Yep. In time, they might not. And that, that's the hard truth. But you'll build and find a family that do love you. You know, yep. there's people out there that understand your, you know, the thing is you're not alone no matter yep. what diversity you're facing. Yeah, exactly right. And I think that if you, you know, you surround yourself with a group, a good group of mates, whether it be short-term or long-term, externally you can you can probably call them as another family yeah you yeah, know definitely. with work as well my previous workplace i called my boss my work dad like that like you're saying there's, there's always another family that you, you can call your own yeah and if you've got to get support from them there's always someone that's going to put your, their hand up and get you through the toughest of times yeah definitely and you know you're in any situation you're in you're never alone you know, even yeah. though you might feel like you are the only person at that point in time, you, you know, there will always be someone out there. You know, that's why the internet is such a crazy place is because you can find someone that will think the exact same thing as you, yeah. you know, and in that sense, it, it can be really used as a good tool. Yeah, exactly right. And fast forwarding on from, from here, when you, when you received a coward punch, do you want to maybe explain um, to the listeners that experience? Yeah, so 2013, I'm pretty definite. I'm pretty shocking with dates, but um, it was just before Christmas. Um, I was at a best mate's 21st, yep. and um, we'd been there at at this hotel for like 
all the night since like seven o'clock and there's this one guy that was absolutely trash like plastered plastered like white white girl worse than white girl wasted <laughs> oh no yeah and he was a nice guy like he kept coming he seemed like a nice guy he was kept coming up dancing yeah. with us and stuff and it was all right and then he'd get really touchy-feely and we were like oh, oh see you later mate yeah we're like mate just calm down just yeah. dance and you know each one of my group of friends had a go at telling him to back off and calm down and it's okay mm. and then there was like one time and talking about about 2 a.m he got really really inappropriate and grabbed my friend and dragged him right into her oh wow and i've stepped in and i've separated him i pushed him back and i said yeah. mate look calm down we're not interested you can dance you can do whatever but just stop touching us like that yeah and he was like oh i'm so sorry like yep okay yep i understand and he came back to the girls and he apologized and shook everyone's hand and then he walked off and i remember my mate turned to me oh thanks stokes and i was like oh that's okay and from then i don't remember anything else but like in the footage you can see he kind of went off screen and then he comes back in and he just completely knocked me out from behind. Holy shit. So yeah, I um passed out. Well, I was knocked out cold for about two and a half minutes. And my friends grabbed grabbed him from, you know, it seemed like in the footage he was probably gonna try and go again. And then eventually the bouncers came in and dragged him out and my friends all got dragged out as well. And I was still Jesus. just off screen unconscious. And then, you know, later on you see um, a girl, another random patron there had helped me up off the floor and you see them yeah. kind of help me out the front. God, and, and what, what ultimately happened to him? Did he, did he get any, like, any, was there any consequence at all? Yeah, well, at the front of the hotel, there was already police there for another event, yep. like another incident that had been happening. So they arrested him straight away. Um, I was talking to, I don't actually remember any of this, but I was talking yeah. to the police and, I fell into a full-blown seizure. So they had to call an ambulance and I got rushed off to hospital. He got arrested and taken down to the watch house. And um, I think they, he blew like a ridiculous amount in the, um, he was just so trashed. Yeah. I remember the police officer a couple of days later um, saying to my mum, well, mum remembers this, mum remembers this. She told me that, he was that drunk that he thought he was in a completely different suburb. He thought he was in um, Caxton Street. He's just like, oh, I did not hit anyone. Oh I'm in God. Caxton Street. What are you talking about? I'm not where I am. And it's like, well, he just had no idea where yeah. he was. So um, so yeah. he probably woke up in the morning going, holy fuck, did I just hit someone in the back of the head? I don't think he even remembered. Yeah. I don't think he had any regulation. So he got charged um, yeah. and he got caught process went through and he got sentenced to a year but it got reduced to an eight-week sentence yep so and for yourself um, have you suffered from anything due to the the hit in the back of the head yeah so I got rushed off to hospital and because of the seizure and they sent me in for scans I actually had bleeding on the brain oh no so I was you know I didn't have to have surgery to release the um, pressure but I was you know they said you know, when they found the bleeding on the brain, they said, Look, you're going to be milked by mouth. We've got to wait till the neurosurgeons are available because they're currently already operating on someone else. And, yep. um, you know, so I was lucky in that waiting period that I had, like the pressure subside, like stabilized and yep. stuff. So I just stayed in hospital for a few more days, um, undergoing some testing and 
because I had really, really bad amnesia. So, and then from then, yeah, there's the list of consequences and repercussions that happen because of that one punch is mm. bloody a mile long. <laughs> Would that be more or less in the side of the mental health in terms of maybe some of the PTS you've faced and, and depression and that, those former works? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I was 24 at the time. I was, um, you know, just before my head. Oh, yeah, I was 24. I was killing it in my field. Yeah. And, and um, what were you doing, if you don't mind me asking? I was a senior business analyst. Yeah. So for the government, just working on massive IT projects. Like, oh, nice. Yeah, it was. Just living the life. Living the life. <laughs> I, was, I was working hard so I could just live the best life possible. Like, it yeah. was amazing. And, um from my head injury, I tried to go back to work. Like I think it was a couple months later, I got the clearance to yep. attempt to go back to work and I started having more and more seizures. So the seizures yeah. kind of came back. So um, I ended up having post-traumatic epilepsy. So it was, yeah, I ended up being told and I've, yeah. So I'm starting to lose my words a little bit now, but no you know. No stress, just take your time. Yeah. No rush. You know, I've got a processing disorder and stuff. So, you know, the doctors in the end said, you know, you're going to have to kind of leave work if you wanted to try and live a seizure-free life sure. because the amount of work that your brain's trying to do to get back to where you were, I'm never going to get there. Yep. So that's where I think the mental health and all that stuff kind of picked up because I'd worked so hard and, you know. Yeah, all for nothing. Yeah, I was losing not just, you know, one night with a head injury, it was my whole, I lost everything I'd kind of ever worked for. Yeah. And, and for someone who may be listening in right now, who may have gone through a similar experience or, you know, something tragic has happened in their life. And, and ultimately as a result of that, they're not able to do something that they've always worked hard for, or they're just going through something very difficult. How did you hit that turning point and, and you managed to overcome these very difficult hurdles? I hit rock bottom. Yep. So I didn't deal with it properly yeah. or, you know, it was hard because I had a head injury. It wasn't something that everyone could see. You know, if, if I'd lost my arm, I think I would have found it a lot easier because everyone would have been able to go, oh, Sophie's, <laughs> Sophie's missing an arm. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's why she's upset. It, you know, I lost the power to process in my head and to think as fast as what I was thinking. I lost my job. And it was funny doing the talk with Dave because I just remember part of my anxiety was like, can everyone see that I'm not functioning the same? You and can't, yeah. I couldn't know. Mm. It wasn't until I did the podcast with Dave and Dave says, said to me in the podcast and he goes, we knew you weren't the same person. We could see you weren't the same person. And it was the first time in five, six years it's been now that those feelings got validated for me. And it would have, it must have felt so good knowing that people actually have it, have an understanding that you're not at where you used to be. Yeah. Rather than have, rather than kind, kind of looking for that answer. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I, I look exactly the same, but, you know, the exactly. person I was died that night. And, yeah. you know, accepting that I had to hit rock bottom to kind of accept that. And, yeah. you know, I hit rock bottom by trying to take my life and, yep. you know, it's, 
I don't mind talking about it. Talking with Dave was probably the first time I spoke about it to someone outside of my network. But I said to my partner, I was like, if I can talk about it and talk about how I was on the edge and if it can help someone else come off the edge, then it's worth talking about. I really appreciate you being able to share this stuff. I can guarantee you being able to openly talk about this, it doesn't matter whether you're helping one person, that one person you may be potentially, like you said, stopping themselves from, you know, going to, toward that edge. Yeah. So I'm really happy and proud of you being able to do this. But I guess, so what you're saying is if someone's going through a similar experience, you've actually got to hit that rock bottom to then go, you know what, fuck it. I'm either going to be stuck in this hole forever or I'm going to have to try and make a change and get on with life. Is that, is that the message you're trying to convey? I guess the message I'm trying to convey is you don't have to hit rock bottom to start again, but you know, for me, it was, it's what I needed in my journey. Um, And it's what saved me in the end was, you know, like the police, like with my incident, you know, I possibly could have gone through with my actions if the police didn't rock up when they did. Yeah. So, um, you know, and there was two realizations around that. So I'll talk a little bit about like my, my attempt. Yeah. Go for it. It was, you know, I was out with friends and I found myself just having these overwhelming feelings that I'd been struggling with. And um, I decided I was going to go try and jump off the story bridge. So I was standing on the bridge and um, it was, I was lucky. I, that the police rocked up and, uh, you know, checked in with me and, um, you know, at that night, my older brother was out and um, he knew I'd gone missing. I'd just run, yeah. off, run off from my group of friends because I just started having a meltdown. And, you know, part of that's a lot of the anxiety I was having. I was out and I was just, you know, it's just the anxiety and the, post-traumatic stress I suffered from, you know, I just thought every time Dick and Harry was out to hit me and mm. it was just, you know. Everyone's against you because of what you've experienced. Yeah. And it's, you know, I was a burden and whatnot. And, you know, I just, you know, I was, I was as much as I hated the police for rocking up when they did right then, it was, you know, it's what saved me. Blessing in disguise. Yeah. I wonder if you, if you were open to talking about these sort of things earlier, earlier on prior to, to, to making an attempt to do this to yourself, do you feel like you would have been in a different headspace? Say, for example, you were talking to people that were very accepting and opening to, to these discussions, whether, you know, and in, in you're talking about how much you're struggling, how you feel like you said every time, you know, Dick and Harry are, are, are after you, do you feel like it would have been a different scenario? I think in my sense, I was very sick. Yeah. So I think, you know, we call it mental health, but it, you know, you can, mental health, you can be really sick with mental health issues. And, you know, as much as I tried to talk to people, it would be, they'd just try and solve the problems instead of just trying to listen. And it's like, I just, you know, I need it not validation, but like, I just wanted someone to hear what I was trying to say and not just say, well, you know, maybe if you tried reading a book and this and your brain power will come back and whatnot. And it's like, 
I just I just wanted people to listen and I think I had amazing people around me that were probably trying to listen but yeah. I was that sick I couldn't realize that that's what they were exactly and and, and like you said if you're talking and discussing with people, discussing your problems with people and, and people that all, all they want to do is, is solve it rather than listen to what you have to say and kind of go on with that. Everyone goes through things differently. And that's the yeah. thing. Mental health is such a broad topic. Once you talk about it, it's like opening a can of worms. Yeah. Everyone goes through different experiences. I could hit, I could stub my toe on a chair and it wouldn't be a big deal to me versus someone else stubbing a toe on the chair. And you know, it's the, the end of the world. Everyone, yeah. everyone, everyone goes through it differently. And that's, and that's, that's the biggest thing. Listening is the key to, to getting through the toughest of times as opposed to trying to solve the problems. If you wanted to solve the problems, then, you know, there's prof- health professionals that will give you, give you the right answers to that. Unless you're asking for it from a maid and stuff, they can, they can suggest things that may help you get through particular times, yeah. but listening is key. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, you know, there needs to be not just listening, but hearing what people are saying. Yep. You know, it's, you know, you can listen, but you can still not hear what they're meaning. You know, yeah. it's, you know, I think that's a really critical tool that we need to start teaching people more. So is exactly. how to hear what people are actually saying. You know, I know that's something I struggled with and, you know, because, you know, one of the, one of the other things was that went against me too was the medication I was on at the time. Yep. Probably like it wasn't working and it wasn't um, too fit, you know. So there's a couple things to my to my story that kind of worked against me. But you know, for someone else that's in that type of same situation, is just because the doctor says this tablet's the right tablet doesn't mean it's the right tablet. You know, it's, you know, for me, you know, I had that attempt and the doctor said, okay, well, obviously the medication you're on is not doing. They Mm. completely stripped me off within three days of what I was on and can put me on a completely different one. And it made the world a difference. And it's not, the medication didn't make me happy, but it made me stable in the way that I could then get help. And I could hear what people were saying. I could hear the professionals, you know, it's, I think sometimes people think I'm going to take this tablet. It's going to make me happy. No, (laughs) that's not how it works. It's, you know, sometimes medication aren't suited for anyone. You know, sometimes some people need exercise. Sometimes people just need a community. For me, I needed medication to help with all the stuff that was broken in my brain. Plus, you know, to count, you know, because I was on seizure medications, which yep. were slowing down my brain. And, you know, it was all, you know, I needed medication to be able to make me stable enough to attend my counselling, to sure. go and learn the tools that I needed to be able to build myself back up. Exactly. And like you said, with in terms of medication, you know, that you, you might hear one particularly well-known antidepressant, say, for example, you're depressed and that one, you know, very well known antidepressant isn't going to work for everyone. It might work for five or six year mates, not all 10 of them. No. Re- there's all different types of reactions. And like you said, for yourself, you're on the wrong type of medication at the start. Then you made that change and it made a world of difference for you. And then they got you back on that right track. So it's kind of finding out whether or not you need medication, whether you need an external hobby, whether yeah. it be exercising or anything else. 
it's just trying to find your niche and, and that will get you back onto that right track. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and from where you are now, um, in terms of work, where are you? Um, in, tem- in terms of work, I've had to leave obviously government because yeah. of that. Um, I'm working at a CrossFit gym now. Oh, nice. Um, supported by the most beautiful community. So, yeah. you know, they... Yeah, they helped me through absolutely everything. Yeah, so, don't, don't mind a bit of CrossFit. Yeah. Bloody, it's bloody hard. <laughs> <laughs> it is hard work. And, you know, coming back from a traumatic brain injury was hard work too. So having like a community behind me that just supported me and didn't judge me and just made me feel welcomed regardless of how good my conversation skills were back then. You know, I've improved a lot. And I think you're doing bloody well. I, I mean, I, I didn't, I haven't heard you prior to now, but I think you, you I, I can talk pretty shit. <laughs> Trust me. And you're doing, you're talking very well, like very fluent, honestly. I couldn't, I can't even notice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think that's one thing I was lucky with was I didn't lose very much of my output of speaking. Yeah. It's, I'm not going to remember anything I've told you until I listened to this back. So it was the same with the podcast I did with David. Like this is kind of just an example of how my post-injury is still affecting me is, you know, I didn't remember half of the things I spoke to David about because my brain can't process and retain that information. After the podcast with David, I slept for, I think, two days because the amount of fatigue outputting that much information yeah put on my body was I just you know and I'm just lucky I've got a supporting partner now and you know I've got three beautiful kids and oh that's fantastic you know if it wasn't for them you know they they really give me a purpose and they support me through and through and in summary to this episode I guess is there anything else you're, you're anything else you're wanting to convey to people listening in whether it be finding the right support finding a general purpose I think it's it's finding the right support. Definitely, it's there's support networks out there, and I guess my main message is not to compare. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to compare yourself. You know, I struggle with comparing myself to who I was, and it's accepting who you are now. You know, and that goes from being gay to, you know, being at the element of my career. You know, in a really high level job to. Yeah now just working at a CrossFit gym and just accepting who I am and not comparing yourself to others and don't compare your journey to someone else's, but reach out and accept for you for who you are. And I think that's a big thing that we, a lot of us struggle with and in, in that we're too afraid to just be ourselves. Yeah. We follow that pack. We, we don't want to go outside that bubble, Yeah. but we've just got to do it. You don't want to live your life pretending to be someone else, pretending to be someone you're not. We all hit that. We've all got to hit that point of realization, that click moment where we go, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to be who I am. And I'm, if that means I lose 40 to 50% of my mates that I've known for so long, stuff it. It's going to do me a world of good. It's going to, it's going to make me feel like a lot of, you know, a weight of bricks has been lifted off my shoulders, but I've just got to do it. Yeah. And that's what we've, that's what we've got to do. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, just, you know, acceptance and being kind to each other, yep. you know, be kind to yourself. You know, if you are struggling, it's okay to struggle, you know, and be kind to yourself and sit with yourself in that moment of struggle, but realize that 
there are supports and the more supports you put around yourself, the easier the journey is going to be and you don't have to hit rock bottom to get there. Exactly. Thank you so much for today, Rebecca. It's, it's been an honor to be able to, for you to be able to share your experience that you've been through. Obviously it's, it's, it hasn't been, you know, it hasn't been brought the whole way, but ultimately you've, you've hit that, you've hit rock bottom and you've, you've moved on and you're living the best form of yourself now. So I really appreciate what you shared with me today. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thanks you. And this thanks guys. This has been season one, episode one of Couch in the Mind. And the topic I went over today with Rebecca Stokes is the click moment. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And as always, guys, if you need anything and want to reach out to me, just hit me up on the on uh, the Couch in the Mind Facebook page. All right, guys, catch you later and have a great rest of the week.